Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. O-G. Make some noise! How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and once again, I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. The New York streets are here and now. We're talking National Arena League football. What makes this team so unique? It's their owner, Corey Galloway. We'll be talking to him. So like I said, listen up, because you're really going to want to get a load of this. All right, folks, as I said, it is National Arena League football. It is the New York streets, and joining me today is their owner, Corey Galloway. Corey, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate right, so, it. So now, listen, I uh, I didn't watch the game live. I happened to DVR it, and uh, 70-31. So there, there certainly is no lack of scoring in uh, <laughs> Arena League football. Yeah, not at all. That is the exciting part about Arena football is you have high-scoring, fast-paced action. So every minute of that game, all the way through the fourth quarter, it was amazing because it was a blowout. The fans were constantly cheering, and you hear the oohs and the odds because the sound of the game is really, really close. So you can hear the crunch, you know, of a tackle. So it's seventy to thirty-one is what you'll see at arena games, just high score. Well, look, there's a lot I want to talk about, but I said in the opening what makes the team uh, unique is its owner, you, Corey Galloway, and uh, you are the first African-American sports franchise owner in New York. Am I correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. So so let me ask you this just off the top, because, you know, obviously that's a hook to talk about, but you're also a businessman with a very successful business background, which we'll get into. Do you want to be known as the Afri- first African-American owner? You know where I'm going with this. I see the smile already. <laughs> or you just want to be a successful owner in this league? I want to be a successful owner. That is the first thing. I think um, what I learned along the way 
couple people told me was how important this is to represent the culture of African-American uh, people behind us just so they can say we can accomplish anything. But uh, in a few of the interviews I've had just talked about having a long-term legacy. And so that's just being a successful owner. That's the first priority. Yeah. And the reason I asked that because, and you, we're going to get into it with our discussions here. Um, you're also uh the president, uh, founder of Legacy uh, Growth Partners, which has been very successful. We're going to touch on that. But mm-hmm. I, 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 here's what I know about a lot of sports owners of, of teams, be it Major League Baseball, the NFL, basketball. A lot of these people are titans of business before they became owners. <laughs> and... um I don't know if you're in their financial league or not. No, no, no. But you know what? I think you know where I'm going with this. To me, as big as they are and as successful as they are in business, Joe Blow on the street doesn't know who they are. And a lot of them get into ownership. That ego is a big, big deal. And some of them, I always say this, don't know what they're getting into because owning a sports franchise is not the same as running any other business. Not at all. And I've been learning along the way. Ran the uh, Harrisburg Stampede with Marcus Colston um, about eight years ago. And we ran the team for four years. But I was always in the shotgun. I was the support. And having the team where I'm the owner and I'm the head, now I'm in a position where I'm like, oh, wow, this is a little different. And I really was looking for professionals to work within our organization no matter where they came from industry-wise. What I've learned along the way is the reason a lot of these colleges have started producing sports management programs, you really need the passion of sports within your corporate structure because those people that are passionate about the product are passionate 24-7. And I worked at MTV for 10 years, and I remember I liked music and I liked working the shows, but if I did the beach house for two months, I couldn't wait to get off to go in that light and hang out. I wasn't thinking about, oh, let me do something else in production. Let me figure out how to make this show work better. I was more of my personal life and what I want to do on my passions. With owning a uh, sports franchise and having people come in from a business point of view, you want people that are really consumed with your product and they're experts in their business fields. So now what I'm learning is I want more people that are more sports passionate and also business professionals. You kind of open up something, and I want to get into talking about the streets, but you mentioned something, so I want to touch on that. You you, um, were with the uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania Stampede, and um, it ended up, the, the, what was I think in 2014 they yeah. went by the wayside. Went by the wayside. You, you, uh, you know, I, I was reading some of your comments, and you had a fan base, had a good fan base, but the business community didn't get involved. And I was, it kind of surprised me, Corey, and, and I'll tell you why. I would think in a place like Harrisburg, you know, there's not the Harrisburg Yankees or the Harrisburg Mets or the Jets or the Giants. I'm thinking that would be the type of place where arena football might flourish because 
you know, it's a small community. And I'm thinking a place like New York would be almost harder for you. Now, I don't know if that makes sense. It does make sense. I think what people don't realize and what we learned, um, I instinctually felt it and research and all the data, but really it comes down to instincts, is that people love football. And so what happens on the corporate side is they're doing a lot of analytics on return on investment as a sponsor, but it's hard to relate the emotion of fans, fanatics about sports and how they are constantly consumed with what's happening with the sports because that's their release from their day-to-day society. And when you talk to, um, and I can sell Harrisburg Steel Company, they're not understanding the passion of the fan and that the fan is constantly consumed about what's happening in sports because it's an escape from their life. In New York, we've been able to have some great conversations with some great partners. Um, one of our partners, New York Presbyterian um, Columbia University Hospital, they understand the passion that people have for sports. And that is one of those things where I'm not saying it's a savvy thing. It's more of just a relatable understanding the passion of sports. I mean, sports talk is everywhere. If you recall, you do decades ago when they started ESPN, everyone thought ESPN was crazy. Who's going to watch sports 24 seven. Guess what? A lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So when we start on the arena football side, people are like, well, why would they go to an arena football game? Everyone stayed at our game through the entire four quarters because people love football. People want the escape. And so as we continue to build out the uh, New York streets and in New York, there's no other option in spring and summer. I have a hundred baseball games. I've got the end of the playoffs uh, for basketball. If we make it have the end of the NHL season playoffs, if they go further out, but I had a conversation with a major broadcaster and he said, June and July are the hammock months. And this is the top sports broadcaster. He said, we just can't find something that's meaningful to people. With 100 games in baseball, every game's meaningful. So we have 14 games. Every game means something. That's why the NFL does so well. The season runs from when to when? Indoor season. Yeah. So we're April till the end of July and then we have playoffs for the first Two weeks of August, one playoff game, and then championship game in August. Now, your your uh, home arena is Westchester County Center? Westchester County Center. Very oh, intimate place. Okay. Oh, but, again, you know, reading it up, like, like you, from what I understand, maybe I'm wrong, they, they hold, like, 4,400 people, but you, you're you maxing it out at 2,500? That's correct. Okay. Now, that's because... I shouldn't say that's because I'm asking you. Is that because you view it as you you, you want to build and let's make the crowd crawl before we walk? Okay, right. And so it's crawl before we walk, and also getting an arena in New York, you're very limited to the places you can go. You have four major arenas serving the entire New York metropolitan area. So you have Nassau Coliseum, Barclays. Uh, MSG and Prudential. And we struck a deal with Westchester County Center. And Westchester County Center is a more intimate place. It's obviously a better financial position for us 
to have our games, but we would like to see it grow and have a bigger place where we can fit more people in. Now, let me ask you this. You're a uh, 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 Brooklyn guy, Erasmus High School, um, and you have the training center is in Canarsie. It was, correct me if I'm wrong, it was called Packplex, but now it's the uh, Brooklyn Lifestyle Athletic Club. BKLA. Okay. So my question is... um, and from what I understand, a lot of your players are living, you know, near the complex. Mm-hmm. So my question is, and, and did you kind of weigh that? I know you, you live up in the Westchester area mm-hmm. now. Maybe I should look for my base in Brooklyn, you know, you know, in that area. What did that, what did that ever come about in, in your thinking? Like what maybe it or was there not a venue where you could play? Okay. So it I, was I, right. It was definitely the venue. So we, it was a three-year search to okay. find the venue. Fair enough. The only thing holding us back from bringing a team to New York and to the New York fan base was the venue. And because the venue has that much control over where you play and how you play, you, even if I had all the financial resources, we, we had the financial resources for the past three years, we couldn't strike a deal with a venue. And you know, Brooklyn, having the uh, BKLA there, Obviously, we're housing our players there um, at Brooklyn College. And, you know, it would have been ideal, but getting a deal done with um, an arena is extremely hard. And that's, of all the things that we had, the hurdles that we had to get over, it was the facility facility to play the games. Did you say the the players are living at Brooklyn College? Yeah, it's a residence hall. (laughs) Oh, is that right? Yeah. So you 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 have a deal that struck a deal. Okay, go. Okay, that's yeah, that's a good spot. Yeah, I mean, um, it's a new Flatbush and Nostrand. Yeah, yeah. And so the players are over there in Flatbush and Nostrand. It's a ton of things for them to do, and obviously they have practice a lot. Um, But I I told them because we have a lot of out of town players. I said, this is real New York. This isn't New York City. This is no, Brooklyn. This, no, this is the hood. <laughs> and, when, the hood. and when I say the hood, I'm not talking about, this is Brooklyn. This is you Brooklyn. Know, as maybe we were talking off air when, you know, I remember talking, and, and I was told about this. You know, Russ, interesting, Corey's interesting, the first African-American, you know, sports franchise owner. What popped me, my, made my eyes pop, he said Erasmus in Brooklyn. I said, that's a different story. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. Brooklyn. I mean, yeah, yeah. and that's something I think we all wear on our sleeves. Right. I, yeah. I, I really think we do. So, so tell for people who don't know, like I, I'm looking at the roster. Um, it's what you, it's like a 20 man roster, 21 man roster, 21 man yeah. roster. And I'm looking places like, um, South Carolina state, Delaware, uh, Alabama, Old Miss, you even have, I went to college in, in, in Canada, Montreal. You even have somebody, uh, from Simon Fraser, uh, EJ Frayne. Yeah. You know, there yeah. you go. So, uh, you, you got them coming from all over. Um, I'm curious, uh, what's the salary structure to play in this league? Yeah. So guys make uh, about 250 a week per game. $250. Yeah, yeah. And, but we put them up. So we pay for their housing. We pay for their food. So really, it's really just 250 in your pocket. Okay. So housing, shelter, and food, you don't have to worry about. Now, now 
because I was thinking about this as well, and I don't know how it works. You know, two fifty. Listen, if you're playing football for two fifty, you're doing it because you love the game, and you'd like to get to the next level. Like I, I the next mean, they're, level. they're not That's, yeah. they're not looking for their career right. in, in uh, arena football, right. uh, and there's practice, so uh, there's no time for them to be. Employed someplace else, or is there? There is. So practices are at night. Oh, okay. Yeah, so practices are anywhere from 7 to 9, 8 to 10. So they can have their own full-time job during the day. Do any of them have that that you know? Half of the team is oh, full-time. Oh, well, that's pretty. Yeah. That That's, you know. Yeah. And then we employ a couple of the guys that are here because they're athletic trainers. You know, they're professionals. So sure. They um, have the skill set to actually work at a health facility. And... and- you know, for example, what's a head coach make in, yeah. the, in this league? How much? So a head coach can make anywhere from you know, twenty five thousand to thirty thousand dollars. I will tell you this: it, you, you know, folks, I've said this all along. Athletes compete; they don't care. I mean, I don't care if it's you know. Bill Parcells used to tell me Sims and Taylor would compete in a parking lot, and I understood that because the competitive nature takes over. So it, you were coming up at halftime in your game against uh, who, who did you just beat in the, Orlando. Oh, you just beat Orlando again. I, I said seventy to thirty-one, but it was halftime. It was coming up on halftime with like a couple of seconds left, and you guys are winning forty to twelve or something like that. And Orlando, the, the quarterback throws like a bomb that's caught in the corner of the end zone, and. It was either, you, I mean, the names that I have assistants, Jacob Minich, Archie Smith, or Jarrell. Uh, Archie. Uh, uh, Archie's very animated. African-American? Yeah. Let me tell you something. <laughs> and I saw Rick Marsilio, the head coach, because he allowed a long, he, you know, defense broke down a lot of long pass. And Marsilio was calming him down, okay? <laughs> you, you know, he wanted to kill the the, the, the defender, yeah. his player. So yeah. it, the yeah. It, it takes over. We strive for excellence. I think um, our team is comprised of some really good athletes. I'd say at least half of them were in the NFL. On their roster, got cut. Practice squad. Practice or... squad. You know, these are Division One guys that have excelled at the highest levels. Uh, the conversation I've had with a lot of people is that there are fifteen thousand Division One athletes that play football coming out of college every year. How many are going to the NFL and what's happening to the rest? That's why you see the Alliance League, the XFL. There's a lot of talent that's not being showcased. Um, I think the arena, the arena experience is different because it's a different format of American football. And so we're not doing the traditional NFL outdoor look. You're seeing a different look in intimate feel. So we feel like the um, people that are on our team that are you know, looking to go to the next level, extremely competitive. And these guys, as you know, played in the SEC, played in Alabama, and half of those guys, if you look at their IG pages, you'll see all their friends are NFL players. Right, I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> and they're I'm like, sure. all right, I want to come to a game, I want to come to a game, because those are just their friends, those are who they competed with day to day. You have a, a you know, I mean, again, looking at the roster, you have guys, you know, coming from big places. My question to you, I, I would ask, 
like, for example, why would the, a player come to play, you know, for what you just said, you know, 250 a week or whatever it is in the Arena League, as opposed to trying, well, it's now, uh, and I'm going to ask you about that, the, mm-hmm. the Alliance just, uh, you know, folded, but why wouldn't they not try to get into that league as opposed to trying? Yeah, I think what we do, and you know New York's expensive. Okay. What we provide, and when I told every player when they came here and every player is brought into is we're providing you with a platform to be better. You should not leave this team not being a better better player. We have a facility that has five swimming pools, three basketball courts. They control the football field aspect of it. It has a track. It has a ton of different things you can use to make yourself better at your craft. It's the equivalent of someone being a writer or a director and saying, I'm going to put you on a small studio lot and you have access to every creative thing that we have in here for you to get better. So that's our pitch and that works. And we also paying for your housing and paying for your food. So you're living in New York, Brooklyn and your meals aren't, you're not worried about your meals. So really it is, what do you want out of life? What's your goal in life? If your goal is to get to the next level, this is, we are preparing you to get to the next level. And that's what we've sold. And that's why we've been able to get such great talent. I'm assuming the majority of guys, if not all of them, are are single because I would think it's pretty. You know, you know, you're not living in Brooklyn College in a dorm with the misses and and the no, little no. five year old or you, you know. But right. Okay, right. That 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 um. That may- some some guys, you know, they do have their um, girlfriends, significant others that are living where they're originally from. So this is just for the season. Se- season. And then they, and that happens in the NFL and NBA as well. Well, yeah, I mean, it happens any place. It happens if you're working on an oil rig someplace exactly. in Louisiana or wherever. So so right. that I, I know you have some lofty um lofty goals, uh, but you've also you know deal in in some common sense where you, you've said you don't um really anticipate the team making a profit for a few years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a certain level of risk. So as an owner, I mean, you're a bright guy. We're going to get into the legacy growth partners. You've made mm-hmm. some money. Mm-hmm. You're doing okay. Um, there are other things why the risk of of you being an owner in, in Arena League football. Yeah. So the risk side of it and the upside of it is – I really focused on the market cap of the NFL. And that was really from an investor point of view and I'm investing in different things, technology, real estate, um, as a developer, there's no other industry in this country that controls a hundred percent of their market at that type of market cap. So the NFL is $60 billion industry with no number two. And it's like saying I have an Avis with no Hertz. Have a Hilton, but no, you know, Super Eight. We don't mind being a Super Eight to a sixty billion dollar industry. I'm happy to be one percent of what the NFL is and play in the spring and summer, not competing against them in a smaller venue and a more intimate, different look because the demand for football is so high. So that's my thesis. That's really where I think. Excuse me for interrupting. You sound like you've done a lot of research. (laughs) 
Yeah, I did. I did. But obviously, the market is the market, and the market is unwavering. It's do people like the product? Am I presenting something to them that they feel like, all right, this is a consumable good product? Is it a professional product? It's no different than any other product that you may sell from a iPhone to a BlackBerry. People want to know, all right, am I getting value for what I'm buying into? And that's the thesis behind it. It really is putting your best foot forward, putting the best product forward, and saying, all right, we know we're not the NFL. We're not going to compete with the NFL. We're not saying we're the NFL. We're arena football. The only thing that my lofty goals are to really make that industry one cohesive unit. So that's bringing all the arena leagues together. Uh, yeah, I noticed because you, you had said uh, that your long-term goal was the national TV coverage, you know, of the sport. And, and you're looking, I know it's it, you would like it to, to be where everybody, all the different arena leagues got together and you had a national playoff. Is that realistic? Because, as you say, you can't work in fragments. You have to work together and in business for lack of a better term, that's always a pain in the ass to get everybody on the same page. Oh, my gosh. It's such a pain. Um, <laughs> I'll say we've had some preliminary conversations, and those preliminary conversations have gone very well. If you, the from the other owner's side and the other league side, you have to look at it as an entire industry on the arena indoor football side. And if you don't look at that, Look at it that way, then you'll see market share. You'll either die or you'll see the XFL or the Alliance. I think the Alliance League did a great job of marketing and putting themselves out there. I think the Arena League, if you buy into what has spanned over 30-some-odd years and still here, whether you admit to it being the biggest thing or the smallest thing, it's still here. I'll tell you, in Arizona, they sell out, and they've changed to two different leagues. They sell out every time. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Arizona is. And what's the crowd like? You know, They're like uh, 12,000 strong. Okay. Yeah. P- per game? Per game. Really? Yeah, they're strong. Wow. Yeah. But, 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 it's, but you see, that's kind of something that I was talking about. They don't have everything. Well, you, you know, it's, it's not New York. It's not New York. Then again, I shouldn't say they don't have anything. They got they got baseball. They got, you know times have changed too. Well, the thing is with New York is you have such a big population. So we did a lot of research on how many fans in New York like football or love football and then love to like area. Eight million fans. So of those eight million fans, what do those eight million fans do during the spring and summer? They look at the draft. The draft's going to be on ABC this year, right? The combine was on ABC this year. What does that say? It says to me that people want to consume a product they don't have enough content for. Which, by the way, since you bring up the the, uh, combines on TV this year, football is part of my life. I'm involved with the Giants. I would rather watch paint dry. (laughs) That's like watching a glorified gym class, how people watch that all week, the NFL combines. But you're right. They do. They do. I do. Yeah. There you go. Guys, just love to consume football. I think if you compare it to part of our research as well, comparing us to soccer, and my dad's Brazilian, so he watches soccer day in, day out. And he, I never know what league or team he's watching. He's just watching soccer. And 
we just don't do that. You're right. In the states. No, but. you're you're 100 percent right. Like like I'll walk by and you know sometimes I'll see, uh, you know, for example when I was over at Channel Five or a soccer fan is watching. I'm saying, what the hell are you watching? They don't care. They just want it to be soccer. You know, you're they right. That care. that's a good analogy. That's yeah, a good analogy, Corey. Tell tell me a little bit. Uh, look. Uh, you got pretty impressive credentials, graduate of American International. You got a, was a business degree from Pace and <laughs> Harvard as well. So, uh, as they say, you're a smart cookie. And tell us, tell tell us a little bit about uh, Legacy Growth Partners and what that is and what you do. Yeah, so Legacy Growth Partners is a investment fund, and it's really just being a family. And I basically look at different opportunities. We pivoted a little bit. The original the original strategy was to work with athletes. That's how I really got my foray into pro athletes. So we work with pro athletes on helping them develop their business deals. What we ended up doing was pivoting from that because when you work with athletes, the time that it takes to work with one, you can't scale it. So you're working with maybe one or two athletes and you really want to work with 20. And you just don't have the scale to do that so we pivoted and during the first six years of legacy we didn't we were developed real estate with an athlete we opened up the forum show with the stampede with marcus we did a film with kevin hart um so along the way i'm learning about each one of these different industries and as my partner and i started talking I'm like well why don't we just do this by ourselves we have the funds to do it. Is your partner uh, a New York guy as well? No, okay. she's a Colorado. Okay, okay. <laughs> so she's a techie. Um, so we ended up pivoting and said, all right, well, I know I can develop because I've developed for four years um, with an athlete. And I was I always played the front role. I was always in charge of operations and running the business. So we just did it on our own. And so now Legacy's current portfolio is we have a – Real estate development in Brooklyn, in East New York and Brownsville, right? With partners HPD, CPC, and Goldman Sachs, we won an RFP to get that. So that's been developing first-time home ownership. What we, kind of homes? Just single, uh, multifamily. Multi so interesting um, program is called the New Infield Home Ownership Program, and basically what it does is it allows people to buy your home as a first-time homeowner, but you also have to rent. So it's own your home and then figure out how do you manage that home with a renter inside. And that's, I think it's a pretty cool program to cities launch. And Goldman Sachs has been a great partner on that along with HPD. You're obviously a community minded guy. Uh, you know, I, so again, as, as we mentioned, you're the first African-American sports owner, uh, in, in this, uh, in, in New York. So I'm, I'm going to assume it's important to you to, you know, have diversity in your employment, uh, you know, both, um, with the team and which that's why you're here today with the team, but also with everything you do. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. I also found that interesting because I don't have to tell you, you know, Corey, the pressure in the media and, and, and labels and this and that. So I'm thinking and we just heard in the past, you know, this past offseason with the NFL, well, they're not hiring enough 
African-American coaches and this and that. And I'm saying now we got an African-American owner. And what the hell does he do? He hires a white guy to be his head coach. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's funny. No, no, but I'm thinking, did you think about that for a second? Or did you get any pressure from anybody to, well, you know, you listen, blah, blah, blah. You got to do this. Um, So Rick has been with me from the Harrisburg standpoint. Okay. We won a championship together. We had a long standing relationship. And that was the first call I made. It was like the only call I made. Um, so from an employment point of view, we, we, uh, work with 90% of our staff is diverse. And so Rick is the head coach, but really, I mean, Rick put that team together for the most part, along with Deval Ellis and Wayne Morgan. I mean, Rick was the one on the phone with the agents. So he put together a great team. Well, you, you know, talking about, I, I mentioned you're a smart cookie. Um, your wife, Tamara, yeah, she might be a smarter cookie. She's definitely a smarter cookie than me. So. I, no, but I mean, I'm, I'm smart I'm, enough to know that. Yeah, well, good for you. But I'm I'm looking at at some of her credentials. She she also uh, was executive vice president of GLAD, which is the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, and um, she improved their numbers like almost ridiculous. Yeah, she's a sales. She's a sales. Is that her? her That's her strength. So she's our chief revenue officer on the New York street side, but she's also the president of BKLA. So really, so we have about 70 people that work at BKLA and they all report in under her. Um, and she's been the one really driving behind the scenes, making sure that people are held accountable to what they're getting paid to do. And she's just been phenomenal as far as looking at all the details. Cause I'm definitely more of what's next. How do I look at the next opportunity? How do I execute the next opportunity? And she's more of how are we executing today? What's happening today? What's the details for today? Yeah. You, you seem very level headed in your approach to this. You, you, you don't seem like you're going in with your eyes closed. You, you, you know, your eyes uh, are, are wide open. Um, when you saw the alliance of the AAF, you know, just go under, I'm thinking that had to disturb you because I'm one of those people who believe if, you know, some people like their competitors to go under. I, I always say this, you know, I don't care what kind of business you're in. If it can happen to him, it can happen to me. Right. And, you know, what did you think when you saw that go under? So it was a couple of things with the Alliance. We got a lot of opinions about it. And when they started out, I was like, okay, I'm looking, I always look at management because from my investment sure. point of view, management is a key. And I'm always like, all right, what's the track record of the managers operating the business? And so I knew uh, Bill Polian was a football guy. Sure. And I knew Charlie was a Ebersol. Ebersol was a entertainment producer director guy. I just couldn't circle who the business guy was. Mm-hmm. I could not circle who is the business guy that's crunching numbers that's saying, "Hey, here's how we're gonna make sure that this is profitable." And so when I looked at the alliance, I was all right. Well, you know what? I'm a big believer in entrepreneurs, and obviously I'm an entrepreneur. So whatever I don't see doesn't mean a lot. <laughs> And when they went to market, I was like, wow, that's a lot of money that they're putting out there. And where I was really skeptic about was 
I've been around the business for a while. Mm-hmm. How old are you, may I ask? 50. Okay. And so I know the NFL. And I know the NFL from just research and obviously knowing players, knowing owners, knowing coaches, and understanding that entire beast and how it works. And I don't care if you're Google, Apple, NFL. If someone comes into your market and says, hey, my exit is to sell to you. That just puts you in a bad position because now you've lost all your leverage in a negotiation. And so when the Alliance League came out, I was like, wow, this is great. And sure enough, when the other investor came in from um, Carolina, he just said, hey, we got to get the NFL and went public. We got to get the NFL players involved or we will die. And what does the NFL players or the NFL have to do with your business? You got to operate your business independently. Yeah, I, I it, you know, it, it's that's a very interesting point, because, uh, listen, we know that the first XFL go around flopped. I think Vince McMahon has taken a completely different approach. We've had uh, Oliver Luck, the commissioner of the XFL, on our podcast. It's not a competition. It, it's if somebody they're in, they're encouraging players. If you want to play in this league and go, we're not stopping you. And then I that's kind of your approach with your guys, mm-hmm. uh, whatever level it is. Okay, if we can get up to that next level. Let's try and do it. Right. But but I, I just think from a business standpoint, because maybe because they failed once, they wanted to be McMahon and, and company wanted to be smarter. And bringing in a guy like Oliver Luck, who's got a, a big history in all kinds of sports, you right. know, soccer, Reliance Stadium in Houston and what. So uh, right. Uh, you're right. It takes a businessman. As I say, a lot of these guys who are titans of industry, they want to become owners it's a different beast. You seem right. to know what you're getting yourself into, and you've been involved with it. Yeah, I've been involved before. I mean, and obviously there's no clear um, exit as far as, oh, we're going to sell for a billion dollars. I think the focus has to be the challenge at hand, operating the business at hand, and being successful day-to-day, game-to-game, and making sure that we're executing at the highest levels of excellence. And that's on our level. And all we can do is do our best to execute. Having conversations with the sponsors, group tickets, single tickets, season tickets, that's where we're selling. We're trying to execute to say, look, we're giving the end user, you know, the ticket buyer, a product that they can take in, enjoy, that they can bring their kids, and it's affordable. So they can bring a family of four like $200 versus a family of four at an NFL game, which is like $2,000. Uh, how how much is a ticket? Well, let's talk about your the New York streets. Yeah. What's it cost to go to a game? Yeah, $29 on the low end. You get $50 in a good seat. But it, I can't it, imagine it's a bad it's seat. It's not a bad seat. It's so intimate. It's The way I've uh, related it, it's more of it's like going to a concert of like a Billy Joel because football is such a big stage. The NFL is such a big stage. The closest you'll get is like 100 yards yeah, away from right. the closest person. And so imagine that big sport being presented in an intimate way. So go to a Billy Joel concert, and let's say he's at a 500-seater, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm this close to Billy Joel. It's the same thing with the NFL. Like you can touch the guys. I mean, a, a arena league. 
you can touch the guys. You can actually go on the field after and get autographs. You guys are very close to the action. So it's more of this intimate feel of a big stage sport. Yeah, you, you know, when you say that, the intimate feel, and I'm not by any means uh, suggesting jazz is small, but the one th- I'm, I'm a big jazz guy, and I like that, and, and um, New Orleans type of music, Neville mm-hmm. Brothers. Yeah, and, I love uh, Neville Brothers. Okay. The one thing about when you go to a jazz club, even could be the biggest stars. Let Miles Davis rest in peace. You're in an intimate setting in a jazz club. There's nothing cooler than There's that. Nothing cooler. I mean, than that. I, I'm like a Dr. John, like lunatic fan. Mm-hmm. You go see him at a, at a joint. You, you know, I mean, it's it's the best. It's the best. It's the best. I think the fans really enjoyed hearing the sounds of the game. Yes, that I'll agree with you 100. percent and it's like, ooh, every, all you heard is a lot of oohs and odds, and then a cheer for a touchdown. We got a lot of those. Now. Well, okay, you're you're on MSG, the the next game, and that's pretty cool to, 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 to have that. I mean, yeah. do, do yeah. all teams – well, let me ask you a question. How many teams are in the league? I know they're all on the East. Yeah, 16, so got where, uh, where Orlando, Jacksonville, Columbus, Georgia, Greensboro, North Carolina, New York. And then Massachusetts, Worcester, Mass. So are you, are you all traveling by plane, train? Plane for Orlando and Jacksonville. Still debating on the Greensboro trip. Right. And Columbus, Georgia trip. Char- so, charter a bus. Or charter a bus. bus. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, that that's kind of. Now you're playing the next game. We got a showdown coming up. Oh, Cap- that's going to be a Carolina, two teams, two and all. Oh, my God. Let's get it on. I'm New so York frustrated <laughs> about that game because their starting quarterback got ejected. And so he's suspended for the next game. Oh. I'm so upset about that. So upset. We really wanted their full team. Right. You know, and some of the guys on the team are like, we'll take a W anywhere we get it. Yeah, well, that's, that's, <laughs> a coach doesn't give a rat's ass about, I mean, I, I hope we, they, if they want to forfeit, we'll take the W. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, right, no, right. no I, I, I get that. Right. I also got to mention, uh, and, and I wanted to ask you about him. You have a wide receiver from Army, yeah. West Point, by the name of Edgar Allan Poe, correct? Yeah. yeah. Now, what I also found interesting doing my little bit of homework, which I never realized this. The Edgar Allan Poe went to West Point and got kicked out of West Point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea about that. But let me ask you this. So if I'm not mistaken, your Edgar Allan Poe left, and I remember him playing. Well, he left, I think it was 2016. Now, when you leave, uh, you know, West Point, and I believe it's Annapolis the same way, but we're talking West Point, and when you leave West Point, you owe the Army five years. How is he playing? Yeah, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> he, but it's not his first year. Oh, he played uh, last year with Maine. Uh, really? Yeah. You know what? I'm going to call That's yeah. just an interesting thing. Yeah. You know, I, Even the Admiral had to do his time. Well, he. I think the Admiral, did he get a... I, no, he definitely did. He did sometimes. I think he did something. I think maybe he got out after a year. I'm not sure. No, uh, David Robertson, I'm not sure. But yeah. the thing about David Robertson also, he went in at like 6'4", came out at 7'1". <laughs> I mean, that's a big, big-ass big target to be shooting at. Right, right. He said it was a big issue for him in the submarine. I just remember following him 
um, those years. Yeah. And I remember he said getting into the ship was hard. Yeah. No, listen, uh, you know, uh, then you had Roger Staubach who did his time. And uh, there have been a couple of other guys who, um, uh, you know, did the five years. So I I, I found that. uh, Yeah. I find it interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I, I find it interesting. Um, so you're on MSG. People can watch that. Do most of the teams in the league have TV contracts? For the most part. Okay. Yeah. I think um, Mass has Nesson. Uh, Greensboro has the CW. I don't know about the others. It's, I know Greensboro because we're going to play them. I was following them. Massachusetts because we have a good rivalry going. Um, just ownership and us going back and forth. So we feel like Massachusetts is going to be a good rivalry. Uh, are the owners, you know, the, the one thing about the NFL, um, th- they work together. The, the owners work together. I mean, everybody can have the differences, but the owners work together. Uh, on a smaller scale, how is it with your league? Are all yeah. you owners together? So I um, ended up getting elected as the executive director of the National Arena League. And as the executive director of the National Women's League, there's three of us. And we really strive on all the owners working together. It has to be, we all have to row the same way. We have to row the same way. And then what's happened over years, because I've been around it, is owners get into silos. And then they're, hey, I'm the big fish in my town. And so I don't care what you guys do. But in order for us to, to your point, the NFL, if you look at the NFL, MLB, NHL, NBA, those guys work together. I don't care what Jerry Jones does. You're, He's falling in line. Yeah, let, let me tell you, and, and let him rest in peace, one of the finest people uh, I've ever met. And in fact, I'm not ashamed to say this. I've met two people in my life who I've, when you're speaking to them, you, you'd say to yourself, you know what? He's better than me. You know, they're just like a cut above one was Wellington Mara, the patriarch of the Giants. The other one was, let him rest in peace, Arthur Ashe. Oh, they just were a cut above. You know, they, right. they thought of the bigger picture. But we're talking about, you're talking about ownership. Wellington Mara, it was, the league owes its success to Wellington Mara because years ago, he had the TV market. He had it all, and it was his decision no, we need to share it. I need to share it with the rest of the league because that's how it's got to be done. That's how the league will evolve. And, well, yeah. <laughs> proof is in the pudding, I guess. Which, and, and you guys, you, you're, I can tell you think the same way. Yeah, I mean, that's why we're happy to have a stakeholder in New York. I mean, one of the important parts of having the sport become more of a mass-consumed product is being in the major market. And that's where... We have our competitive advantage. We don't have any other arena, indoor, XFL that will come out next year, I think, and no alliance teams in our market. So if you're you're either going to watch, as a football fan, either going to watch the draft, the combine, or an arena team if you're in New York, because now you have the option. Well, folks, um, listen, if you're a football junkie, uh, and we know uh, there's plenty of you out there, um, Give the New York streets a look. I mean, it's affordable. Uh, it's it's fun. Uh, it, it's, you know, Corey Galloway and the team is not selling it as the NFL. It is what it is. It could be a stepping stone. And if it's not a stepping stone for the players, it's a fun night out with you and the family.
Corey, it's been a delight. Enjoy it from one Brooklyn guy to another. Thank you so much. Best of luck. Hope it really works out well right. for you. Thank you. Me too. All right, folks. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Anyway, folks, that's a wrap right now. I want to thank all of you for getting a load of this. And now i like to get a load of you. Let me know your thoughts on my conversation here with uh, New York Street's owner, Corey Galloway. You can let me know on Twitter at Russ Salzburg, on Facebook. You can check out, visit my website. Real simple. It's russsalzburg.com. My thanks to the big man who's always taking care of me across the way crash, a.k.a. Mike Ragliano, to uh, the... Um, Chris Rutsky, head of the OG Podcast Network. Tim Einickel, my outstanding OG Podcast Network producer. Greg Schwab, 77 WABC program director. His outstanding assistant, Matt Dahl. But last and certainly not least, you guys and gals out there, because without you guys and gals, I'd have nobody here to be talking to us. So until next time, it is I, Russ Salzberg, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. It's New York Streets Football. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online, at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast, so you turn all those retro notes into Jira tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.